Ain't gonna burn ourselves out no more. Ain't gonna burn ourselves out no more. Got each other on our side, plus all the folks at Fried the Burnout Podcast with Kate Donovan. Welcome to Season 7 of Fried, the Burnout Podcast. Fried exists to help you remove the layer of shame, blame, guilt, or judgment that is standing in the way of your burnout recovery. We do this by helping you to feel seen, heard, and validated. With a mix of shorter solo episodes and longer deep dives with guests, each episode offers a burnout recovery step that you can take to move along the burnout recovery journey. To help that journey further, you are more than invited to join Fried's Facebook group for support and or book a call to get started with burnout coaching with a Fried guide. If you are an event planner or a company leader and you'd like Kate to come present for you, please reach out at info at As a keynote speaker, coach, podcaster, and author, all of my work is aligned under the mission to hashtag end burnout culture. I can't wait to hear what step forward you'll make thanks to this week's episode. Hello, Fried Fam. This episode was made on special request from one of our Facebook group members. We talk about coping mechanisms a lot around here. I speak about them all the time on Straight From Kate episodes, and guests tend to talk about them a lot too. But the question came up, what really is a coping mechanism? And how do I know if it's good or bad? I thought this was a fabulous question, so I sought out to answer it for you in the most straightforward way possible while still relying on the science and the research. A coping mechanism is an action or a behavior that you engage in when you need to overcome a difficulty. We all need to be using coping mechanisms all day, every day. They're an essential part of life. In fact, you start developing them as soon as you are born. You cry in order to be fed or soothed. The initial response of your primary caregiver to those needs that you are trying to convey is what guides how you will eventually long-term create your particular style of coping. In an ideal world, we would all form what is known as a secure attachment with a caregiver. A secure attachment forms when our primary caregiver is attentive to our needs and makes us feel safe and secure. From this place, we start to explore the world. And it's been shown that children who form secure attachments go through life with more self-confidence, more resilience, and more ability to trust the people around them. You can imagine, then, that when a child is not afforded the opportunity to create a secure attachment, there are three other attachment styles, but that's a post for another day, they end up lacking resilience and self-confidence and the ability to feel secure and trusting around other people. I'm sure that you're aware that when you're feeling less secure and you're having a hard time trusting and your confidence is easily shaken, and you don't bounce back so quickly, you're more likely to burn out. You're also more likely to choose less healthy coping mechanisms. Coping mechanisms are typically broken down into two categories. Adaptive, meaning they help you to adapt, 
and overcome whatever it is you're facing with no long-term damage to yourself or sometimes even bettering yourself in the process. And the other category is maladaptive, meaning that they help you adapt and overcome, but with some consequences that may or may not be worse than the original thing you were facing. There's a particular researcher that writes about coping mechanisms a lot called Wadsworth, and they ask us to consider reframing maladaptive coping into what is referred to as functional coping, meaning that it is the actions that are taken within situations where they are the best possible option and allow for survival, even if they're not completely healthy in the long term. I really like this perspective because it takes away the idea of you doing anything wrong. You know by now that I'm a big proponent of reminding you that burnout is not your fault. This is one of the reasons that I believe that statement to be true. Because if you were not afforded the chance at a secure attachment, you're going to naturally learn to react and behave in ways in the world that will ensure your survival. Excellent. Those same ways that you learn to behave also make you more vulnerable to burnout. But it is not your fault that you created them in the first place. You were just simply reacting to your environment. If I had to make a list, I wouldn't. I would steal it from positivepsychology.com. What are the coping mechanisms? What are the actual behaviors that are listed as maladaptive? I think that's a really important thing to talk about. What are people saying are the things that we do that are not actually helpful for us? The things that end up on this list, and this is a list, like I said, from positivepsychology.com, are things like substance abuse, rumination, which means overthinking the same thing over and over and over and over and over again, staying on the same topic. If you've ever been sick of hearing yourself tell the same story, you've been ruminating. Emotional numbing, escaping, which is sort of like avoidance, having intrusive thoughts, daydreaming, Procrastination, self-harm, blaming others and blaming yourself for things at nauseam, being hypervigilant, seeking constant assurance from everyone around you, and disengagement. Disengagement comes up a lot in the corporate world when we're talking about employee engagement, quiet quitting, and things like this. Those things might sound familiar or not familiar to you, but there are more common behaviors that these things might show up as in your life. For instance, escape is this idea that you'll change your behavior to avoid unpleasantness. And that's really what we call people-pleasing. Things like hypervigilance and procrastination can both be really closely related to the action and the behavior of perfectionism. Emotional numbing and blaming is usually related to a lack of trust somewhere and can lead to your inability to ask for help and the need to do everything by yourself. Hyperindependence didn't end up on this particular list, but I think it should be there. Now, to be fair, these different behaviors, none of them are necessarily super terrible if they're used sparingly and with intentionality. We've all done all of these things at some point, but that doesn't mean that we're all walking around with maladaptive coping mechanisms for our all-day, everyday experience. If they're used sparingly and with intentionality, 
and you're not relying on them for your default behavior, then you're probably okay. But if these things are your default behavior, over time they erode your sense of self and can be many of the drivers that lead you toward burnout. So if those are the maladaptive coping mechanisms, what does PositivePsychology.com tell us are the adaptive ones? Pride fam, I tell you in nearly every episode that step one of your burnout recovery is blood work. And I know that a lot of you avoid it because it's a pain and because your doctor has told you that everything is quote unquote fine. And they refuse to test all the things that you think you need. What if I told you that you could test what you want, when you want, from your home with just a couple of drops of blood? Cyfox Health allows you to do just that. You can buy tests as one-offs or join a membership. Either way, you can test and track your results to help you make decisions about your burnout recovery journey. Get 10% off any membership, subscription, or one-time test kit right now. Go to cyfoxhealth.com forward slash fried for your discount. That's S-I-P-H-O-X health.com forward slash fried. Adaptive coping mechanisms are considered things that are problem-solving in positive ways. So things like emotional regulation, or searching for solutions to a problem, sharing a problem or a concern with a friend or a therapist, exercising. This is really commonly talked about, um, in especially in the burnout book, The Secret to Unlocking the Stress Cycle by the Nagoski Sisters. Exercise helps us to close the stress cycle. This is true before we burn out, but once we're burnt out, we get into this uh, area where that's not so straightforward anymore. And this last one is really interesting because it says forced distraction in order to avoid rumination. So earlier we said that avoidance was a maladaptive coping mechanism, and now we're saying that forced distraction is a good coping mechanism. So when we're looking at things like that, what's really the difference So if you're looking at forced distraction and you're saying, I'm going to do something for a short period of time and I'm going to combine it with other positive mechanisms in order to just give myself some space before I deal with this problem, but I'm going to deal with this problem, then we're looking at something that's okay. But if we are avoiding things altogether, pretending that they don't exist and and refusing to look at situations, then we're creating more harm. So technically, these are two sides of the same coin. It's the same technique, but one is used on purpose for the short term, and one is used automatically for the long term without any planning or thought attached to it. The article in Positive Psychology says that adaptive coping mechanisms are those that answer at least one of the four following questions. I think this is really important and you might want to press pause and get some paper and write these down because these asking yourself these questions on a regular basis will help tune you into your more adaptive coping mechanisms. The first one is, how can I comfort myself right now? So how can I create more comfort? 
And this is one of those places where forced distraction might be a good short-term plan as long as there's a longer plan for looking at the actual problem. The next question that comes up is, what actions can I take to solve the problem? This is really helpful because it helps you avoid things like blame and doesn't necessarily put all the responsibility on your shoulders, but quite a bit of it, and just says, well, what what can I actually do? What is within my power? What is within my control? That's a really, really great question to be asking yourself. The next question is, what social resources can I draw on? So what communities do I have? What friends do I have? Therapists, doctors, coaches, the fried community. What social resources can I draw on? Where can I reach out for help and get some support? And the last one is, what options do I have available? Sometimes you're not going to be doing a particular action to solve a problem if you can't solve the problem. Because sometimes the problem is not dependent on you, right? So if you can't solve the problem, then what options do I have in front of me? What is actually available to me? I find this question to be particularly potent because oftentimes we assume that we have no options without actually taking the time to say, but if I did have options, what would they be? So again, those questions are, how can I comfort myself? What actions can I take to solve the problem? What social resources can I draw on? And what options do I have available? What I find most interesting, and I've alluded to this already, is that most coping mechanisms can be adaptive or maladaptive depending on the intentionality with which they are used. If we take perfectionism, for example, and use it against the question, how can I comfort myself? Maybe for you, it's super comforting for you to have an uber clean house. Someone else might think you're being over the top and super perfectionist, but you're facing something difficult and you decide that your best course of action is to clean out the fridge because it will help you to feel in control. That can be a good thing. However, if you cannot function without the fridge being perfect, then we're in a danger zone. So you can see how no matter what the coping mechanism is, you can push it too far even if it's a good one, or you can make a bad one more useful if you use it in a good way. When you are recovering from burnout and you're working with a fried guide such as myself, Sarah, or some new fried guides that you'll be meeting soon, we have a golden rule that states none of us will ever demonize a coping mechanism that you use. We might help you update it so that it's more useful for you. We might help you create awareness around it so that you can use it well and with intention because you might not even know that you're doing it. We might help you realize that while a particular coping mechanism was useful for many years, it isn't necessarily one that you need to take into your future. But before we release it and move on to something new, we do acknowledge it and appreciate it for all of the things that it helped us to get through until this point. Most often, I find that we really are just updating them and making sure that even if you use them in a way that isn't the best for you sometimes, because we all do this, let's be realistic, that you don't beat yourself up over it and you move on with clarity around why this action happened and plan to maybe try to do it different next time. You might succeed or not. That's not the most important thing. But spending time thinking about it and planning for it will change your life over time. 
you have spent an entire lifetime repeating coping mechanisms that you started creating before your current memory was even active. These behaviors don't disappear overnight, and you'll still need them sometimes, and you'll need a coping mechanism all the time. All day, every day, we're overcoming things. Even if you get into the shower and you turn it on and you thought it was warm and you get in and it's cold, your coping mechanism might be to disengage, to pull yourself away from the shower and, until it warms up. That is considered a coping mechanism. Not everything has to have such a weight to it. Not everything is so heavy. Not everything is such a big deal. I want you to remember that almost every coping mechanism can be functional in the short term, even if they're maladaptive in the long term. And sometimes when you're in a situation that requires you to use some that are maybe not the best for you, it's okay as long as you know you're doing it, you're doing it on purpose, and you have a longer term plan to handle life differently. But sometimes you're just in the muck and you have to face whatever it is you're facing, right? If you find yourself stuck in a cycle that you can't get out from underneath, I highly recommend that you start working with us. Part of the work is what I just mentioned. And another part is us creating a space for you, a safe space for you, to start to develop more secure attachments even as an adult. The space does not erase what happens earlier in your life, but it can help teach you that people can be safe, people can be trusted, you can have confidence, and you are worth the attention, the time, and the money. You can book a free discovery call with the links in the show notes. If you are very stuck and just can't seem to get started on your burnout recovery because you don't know where to start, I'm your gal. You should book with me with Kate. If you've already started your burnout recovery and you've moved forward a bit and you really want to progress, but you got stuck in your progress, Sarah is your gal. Both of our links are super easy to find in the show notes, and we would be honored to spend time with you. Fried fam, that wraps up coping mechanisms and burnout. I hope that you found that helpful. Can't wait to hear in the fried Facebook group what you thought about this. And I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Ain't gonna burn ourselves out no more Ain't gonna burn ourselves out no more Got each other on our side Plus all the folks at Fried The Burnout Podcast With Kate Donovan